all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason. You. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app. Good morning. This is Southern Remedy. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, professor of internal medicine and pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Hope everybody's having a great Wednesday morning. We are here for you today. That's right. Southern Remedy on Wednesdays is the program where you can call in and you can ask pretty much any medical question that's been on your mind. Maybe it's something that's been bothering you as a new symptom or a persistent symptom for a long time and you haven't quite gotten an answer for it, we would love to help point you in the right direction. Or maybe it's a side effect from a medication or maybe a misunderstanding about what your physician gave you as far as instructions. We'd love to be able to help out and get that information to you. And we do it by taking your calls. That's right. You can always email us. That email address is remedy at mpbonline.org. We've got an early caller, which we always love and encourage everybody to do. This is uh, Tom from Brandon. Good morning, Tom. Good morning, Dr. Jimmy. Uh, I was listening to your rebroadcast uh, on Sunday morning two weeks ago and caught uh, part of the discussion about uh, cholesterol medication. Uh, and I wanted to ask a question. I remember several years back, perhaps when uh, uh, cholesterol drugs were first released, that there was a benefit side effect that was told that it kept the plaque in your arteries from breaking off. Is that true? Uh, partially true. And it really depends on the type of medication. And you know, it's it's not. It is about numbers. It is about your cholesterol being lower. And what we, you know, what we understand from the data, if you look at the population, the higher your cholesterol, particularly if it's that bad cholesterol, that LDL, um, and and combined with a low HDL or good cholesterol, that that can put you at risk for a heart attack and stroke, and associated with that. Now, the why behind that. Uh, tends to be that you have all this plaque, which is just this hard stuff that's laid down on the the inside surface of your arteries, and that reduces blood flow to different parts of your body. So it could be anywhere, really, but the most important ones that we think about is the heart, the brain, the kidneys, uh, your lower extremities, but really it can affect any anywhere in your system. And uh, a higher cholesterol along with other risk factors like hypertension, inflammatory conditions like rheumatoid arthritis and other autoimmune diseases, um, all that can do damage to the inside of your blood vessels. Diabetes is a big one too. And that combined with the high cholesterol leads to that cholesterol to be sort of laid down 
on top of that uh, interior wall. And over time, that builds up and just decreases the interior diameter of it. Now, there's also a problem with what type of, of plaque is there. So you can have a hard plaque that has sort of a hard shell on it. And it's really, it's, a, it's sort of akin, to, for those of you who are in the aeronautic industry or sort of, a, you know, know about that, about how the, uh, the pressure is different over the, the, um, uh, the um, upper side of a wing because of its shape as it moves across it. The same kind of thing happens in blood vessels so that it sort of lifts that plaque off. And most of the time, that hard plaque on top, it's surrounded un, you know, it, underneath the surface. It's a, it's a, a gelatinous material, so it's a soft plaque. Well, that can break off. It can go downstream to a smaller vessel, and that's when you have usually your heart attack or stroke that, you know, all of a sudden people say, you know, it's, it happens. So it, 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 you really get decreased blood flow in two different ways. One is gradually, and one is suddenly because of that plaque rupture. And cholesterol medications can reduce that that substrate that um, is used to is by the body to sort of lay down that those layers on those interior of the vessel walls, and it, depending on what type of medication is, particularly the statins, and you've heard us talk about those, you know, on Southern Remedy and uh, but uh, Crestor and Lipitor, so that's Resuvastatin and uh, Atorvastatin in particular. They do something to stabilize that plaque. So not only does it lower the LDL, it stabilizes the plaque so that it's less likely to rupture and to break off and go downstream. So that's the science behind it. Uh, so it's twofold. And in, in some ways, we don't clearly understand all the mechanisms by which those statins stabilize a plaque. Incidentally, if you change your diet dramatically and you start to eat foods that are more healthier for you, like a Mediterranean diet or foods that are higher uh, in antioxidants, um, if you exercise, all of those things can stabilize plaque too over time. It's just a, a cumulative activity that does that. So all those things are important. You know, people say, well, can I do that by taking vitamins instead of cholesterol medications? Really not a whole lot of evidence with that. Um, but that's how those drugs work is they do stabilize that. And it also explains why just in decreasing the, the, the predicted decrease in your risk of decreasing the bad cholesterol didn't really measure up with how many reductions in heart attacks and strokes that we've had since we've been using these medications. But that stabilization of that plaque sort of that explains it. So that's a long answer there, Tom. Hopefully that hit on all the things that you uh, that you were thinking about. Yeah, I should have clarified it was the statins I was talking about. Obviously, there's other medication these days, but this was years ago. And I haven't heard it mentioned ever many years now. I haven't heard that uh, side effect. I'm glad you clarified that. I, I, I guess what I heard you say is that as long as you don't build up the plaque, it probably isn't going to fall, uh, rupture and break off. There is, you know, your diet or your statin will keep you from building up that cholesterol. Is that, I mean, it's not like a magic lining or something that it puts on that, uh, on those uh, arteries or whatever, right? Right. It's not like it coats it in Teflon or anything like that. But uh, yeah, you're right. So if you don't build it up and, you know, for primary prevention, that's extremely important. We know that plaque gets laid down in the first decade of life. 
So age 10 and under, and that comes from a study that was done uh, on autopsies of younger individuals that died not too far from here. So it was the Bogaluga, Bogaluga heart study and also some studies from the Korean War. We used to think, you, you know, you didn't get heart disease or the effects of heart disease in those vessels. Uh, you didn't see them until your 50s, 60s, 70s. Well, that's not true. And particularly if you eat the wrong kinds of foods and you don't exercise, you can see those as early as 10 years of age. Uh, so that is uh, a horrifying thing to think about. The younger you are, the more of a chance that you have to do something about it, though. So changing those things can do that. And uh, certainly there are some you know, situations where we might consider, particularly in really high cholesterols, in kids of, of treating them with some of the uh, similar medications, the first thing that we would do in anybody is to say, hey, we need to change what we're eating, we need to exercise, and over time that can have a lot of positive effects to help prevent that, that plaque to be laid down like that. Well, thank you, Dr. Jimmy. I appreciate this show. Uh, it's very educational. Oh, thank you, Tom. We appreciate you calling in. We're going to go to Wilma in Memphis. Good morning, Wilma. Good morning. I was recently told that this is not making the news, but that the uh, COVID vaccines are causing blood clots in vessels of some people. Do you know if that's true? So there were some, you know, in in looking at the side effect profiles over time of individuals that were vaccinated, that was one of the concerns, particularly with the non-Moderna and Pfizer vaccines. Uh, So AstraZeneca, the one that they had out, which came out fairly early, uh, did have a significant increase when uh, compared to the population background. However, the risk when compared to people who got COVID of blood clots is much higher. So if you compare the people who aren't vaccinated, who got COVID, and what is their risk of blood clots, that risk was much, much higher than the risk if you got vaccinated uh, and, and, uh, and got COVID. So that was one of the other things that they looked at. Now, as far as, you know, with Moderna and Pfizer, it's really a minimal, uh, it's really no risk. If you look at the numbers, it's not anything that can be contributed to, you know, if you have a blood clot to the vaccine. Even if you get vaccinated and, ha- and get COVID, there is a risk of blood clots. That's one of those side effects because of the, the uh, inflammatory condition that it causes within the vessels. Um, but you can reduce that risk by vaccination. So earlier vaccination, certainly there was a little bit of a risk there, and there probably is a decreased risk now because so many people have gotten COVID, I mean, and, and gotten exposed to it, and some of them don't, don't even know that they've had it. So I expect that risk is going to go down over time. Uh, same thing with cardiomyopathy, you know, some damage to heart muscle, uh, there were some, uh, you know, there, there is some risk, particularly in younger male individuals, uh, anywhere from like 20 to 35, that they can have an increased risk with some of the messenger RNA viruses, uh, messenger RNA vaccines. Uh, but that, again, getting COVID is a much higher risk, particularly in that same age range of getting those side effects. So it's it's, uh, you know, certainly protective to get those vaccinations. And now that we have more targeted ones coming out now against Omicron variants, which is by and large, that's what we're seeing in the population. Um, that would be the thing to get if you're particularly if you're at a higher risk. Okay. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Thank, yes, ma'am. Thank you for calling. 
or if you're not able to call right now, maybe you're on the road or traveling somewhere uh, and it's not quite safe, you can wait till later. Certainly don't not call and then email on the road. I'm not suggesting that. But uh, if you've got something that pops up later on your mind, you can send those to remedy at mpbonline.org. And don't forget, it's uh, easy to sign up for our podcast. You can just uh, open your favorite podcasting app and search for Southern Remedy on MPB think radio and uh, you can listen to us whenever you would like we're going to go to sue from beaumont good morning sue good morning thanks for taking my call yes ma'am i have venous insufficiency is what the doctor says and he says mm-hmm. there's nothing that can be done about it i developed these weeping ulcers on my shins and he said it's it's something to do with your heart can't can't pump the your your blood in and out of your legs enough and so the fluid just seeps out can you explain that a little bit better? Yeah. So venous, and that's a hard one. I, I appreciate you bringing that up, Sue. Um, so there are, you know, two different types of blood vessels. There are arteries and then there are veins. And they're all different sizes. Um, there are big arteries. There are big veins. Veins carry blood back to the heart, and the arteries carry blood from the heart to the rest of the body. And arteries tend to be thicker walled, so they have a muscular wall around them, and they deal with a much higher pressure. And veins tend to be thinner walled and have much lower pressure. So if you think about it, you know, as the heart pumps something, you have to have a pipe that a pipe system that is going to accommodate that increased pressure throughout all the vasculature so that it doesn't seep out or you don't have, you know, a rupture of that and bleed. Uh, and then the veins are a low pressure system. And the way that they work is through a series of valves, uh, just like valves in a, in a pipe. But, um, and the veins travel, particularly the deeper veins, in between muscle groups. So as we move around, those muscles squeeze on the veins, and then those valves allow blood flow to go one way back to the heart. So what happens in our lower extremities, you know, because we're mostly upright most of the time, uh, as you walk around and as you get older, those valves can wear out from increased wear and tear on those veins, and they can become a little bit leaky. And um, that's what causes the veins, because they're thin-walled, they get bigger. And a lot of people have varicose veins. A lot of people have venous insufficiency that you mentioned. And that typically is a little bit different than not getting blood flow to your lower extremities. You're getting plenty of blood flow down there as long as your arteries are working okay. That's called, you know, if you don't get enough blood flow to those to the lower extremities, that's called peripheral vascular disease, and you treat it a little bit differently. But the venous insufficiency means you have pooling of blood in those veins, and some of it seeps out into the surrounding tissues, and all that's mainly because of faulty uh, valves in those veins. And you can have some varicose veins that are just those bigger sort of squiggly veins on the surface. Um, but really what happens is you get that bronzing color on your lower extremities. It can put you at risk just because that blood's not getting back to the heart as quickly as it normally would put you at risk for some, some skin and soft tissue, uh, infections just because of, you know, you're not clearing that as much as uh, you normally would. And it is difficult to treat. You know, a lot of people will go to a vascular surgeon and maybe they'll strip some of the, the surface veins, but it doesn't, really, uh, it doesn't really fix the problem. And to be honest, the things that work the best are external compression. So there are external compression hose that you may be 
you know, uh, you may know about and use already, Sue, but basically these are uh, hose that you wear over those lower extremities, particularly on that, you know, over your calf. And if you you can wear them, you know, mid-thigh, that's best. And it it just like those muscles uh, compress those veins, this, this provides some external compression. And they really need to be fitted by a medical supply store. Uh, they need to, to make sure they're the right size and the right compression. Uh, and they're a little bit tighter than, say, just normal hose that you would wear. You know, some, some of my patients will say, well, I already wear hose all the time and it doesn't really work. Well, this is, this is compression stockings, really. That can help. Um, if there is skin breakdown, you want to get on it early because of the increased risk there. And there's certainly uh, a lot of things that you can put on there. Uh, but the bronzing, that really doesn't go away. And that's just, there's a substance called hemocytorin that is a breakdown product of a red blood cells. And once it gets deposited in skin, that's why it looks like that sort of reddish-brown color. Um, so it's not that you're not getting enough blood flow to your lower extremities. It's just that the, those veins aren't able to carry it back up to the body. Right. Ex- and exercise does help because it builds up those muscles and helps pump that blood back. Well, I thank you. Uh, there's nothing. It's not due to heart problems, though, huh? I mean, exactly. You, not not by itself. That's right. So it's not. You know, people will say, "Hey, I've got this. You know, venous insufficiency. My heart. I've got heart problems." Not necessarily. Your heart can be working just fine, and you can have venous insufficiency. So it's a totally different uh, blood vessel system that's involved. There is a couple of um, tests that they can do, though, that, that measure that in your lower extremity. So if you're having other symptoms, like it's, there's a symptom called claudication, which is basically cramping in the backside of your calf and leg when you walk, particularly if you're walking uphill, uh, if you're exerting yourself. And that's really angina of the legs, and that needs to be tested to look at the, the blood flow to the arteries but if you're not having that and it's just the venous insufficiency, I, I would say your heart's probably doing just fine and those blood vessels, those, at least the arteries, are working just fine. Well, thank you very much. Yes, ma'am. Thank you for calling. We're going to go to Walker. Good morning, Walker. Good morning. Uh, I have a question about the eye health COVID-19 antigen rapid test, the self-test at home. Yeah. Uh, one, if you end up having long covid uh, would this give you a positive reading, or do you know? Yeah, so the term long COVID really has to do with the inflammatory condition and autoimmune problems that occur after you have that primary infection. So it doesn't necessarily correlate with that testing that tests for the antigen. And when we say antigen, that just means that's a piece of that material. So it's not... You know, it could be anything that we're testing for. If it's an antigen test, they're testing for a particular piece of that virus, uh, in this case, uh, with COVID. So uh, you could be, you could, your body has cleared the infection and it's not shedding virus anymore and you're not going to pick up that with an antigen test, but you could still have long COVID symptoms. And those are a lot. And we still are finding out different things about COVID and its effects on the immune system over time and what that manifests as. Um, But uh, it doesn't really correlate with the antigen itself. Now, the antigen just means that you're shedding viral particles. And 
uh, particularly if you've had COVID before, if you've been vaccinated, you know, if basically your immune system has seen COVID before, you're more likely to clear that faster, except if you're immunocompromised. So if you're being treated for another condition, if you're on chemotherapy, uh, if you're treated uh, for a condition that um, that modulates your immune system, like an autoimmune disease, like rheumatoid arthritis, and you're receiving a particular um, uh, autoimmune therapy for that, then that may put you at risk. And you would shed those particles sometimes months afterwards. But that's a different case, and it doesn't really correlate with that long COVID symptoms. I'm, I'm, I'm hearing no then. That, that, right, right. Yeah. That, all right, then. then uh, so you're not shedding, so you're not infectious if, if you have it. It could be something else, but it could be long COVID. One last question. Uh, looking at my box here. It says used by uh, 2022-07-10. Now, that's backwards, so I don't know whether the 7 refers to the 7th day of the 10th month or the 10th uh, uh, day of the 7th month. Um, with, yeah, without seeing it. Now, what you could – what I, I tell you what, I would call your pharmacist and uh, describe what brand that is and that they're going to be able to tell you about that, or you can just take it by and say, hey, is this still good? Thanks, sir. Take care. Be well. All right. Thanks for calling. Yeah, those some of those expirations are uh, backwards, uh, at least by the way that I do things. Um, the federal government does things that way too. Sometimes, you know, I filled out some federal forms sometimes, and they're like, "I'm like, wait a minute, it's got the date and the anyway, it's all mixed up." This is Southern Remedy, Doctor Jimmy, with you this morning. For we're going to go to Don. Go ahead, Don. You're on the air. Um, Dr. Stewart, I am a polio survivor, so I'm uh, somewhat paranoid about infectious diseases. Sure, absolutely. Um, I'm uh, very interested in the new booster that uh, will work on the Omicron virus, but I have already had two boosters. Do you know whether I'll be able to get a third one? Yeah, that's a great question, Don. So some of the more specific ones that are coming out now, um, what they're recommending is if you are about four months from your previous booster, it doesn't matter how many you got uh, before. So that's you should be able to get um, that one if the time period is uh, appropriate. And certainly anybody who you know is at risk, you want to pay attention to sort of the, the timing of that. Um, and there is some protection with the older boosters. It's just that this is much more specific. So we're going from a shotgun to a rifle, basically. Um, so don't think that you'd not ha- you don't have any protection if you've had those other boosters. You do have some protection, but once you meet that window, that's when I would I would go you know to your pharmacy and say, hey, I'd like to have that that additional booster and. Certainly, it sounds like you probably would be at risk for that. Yeah, I'm in my 70s and four and a half years out from uh, bypass surgery. Yeah. So I'm high risk. And, and, Don, you do bring up another, you know, thing about uh, polio. You know, I'm sure you've seen in the news and particularly in places like New York that there have been some cases of, of uh, polio and a scary yeah. thing, you know, you know for, for what we've been able to accomplish with vaccination Polio can stay in in the sewage system of larger cities for a long time, and um, you know there are uh, certainly for those who <clears throat> who are have never been vaccinated with it, they are at risk, uh, and some of the other people around them who may be um, 
may be immunocompromised. So it's definitely something, as you said, you know, from an infectious disease standpoint, we tend to have short memories of our history, and uh, people don't uh, remember what polio did uh, to the general population uh, before vaccination. So uh, thanks for bringing that up, too. It's been a real source of frustration for me listening to what people are saying about vaccinations in general. I'm sure. I'm sure. Well, Don, uh, hopefully that gives you a little bit of um, of uh, uh, things to, to look out for with the with the vaccination of uh, of COVID with the new ones. And uh, uh, I would just check with your physician on that. This is Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. Dr. Jimmy with you this morning answering your qu- uh, questions and calls. Got some great ones as usual this morning about all kinds of different things. And this is the program where you can basically call about any kind of medical question. Uh, we take all of those. We don't really have a theme too often on Wednesdays. It's sort of an open line type day. And email is another way to connect with us. And it's always good, particularly if you maybe have a longer question that has more of a, um, a longer history to it. That's a good way to to give you the great the 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 uh, exact answer that you that you need, and it could be a little bit gray sometimes, you know, with with some of these uh, conditions that you have, uh, and it takes a little bit more time. But that uh, email address is remedy at mpbonline.org. We do try to answer those as quickly as we can, and to share them if you give us permission on air with our larger audience, because they're always such great questions. Going to go to Alice from Macomb. Good morning, Alice. Good morning. How are you? Good. Thank you for calling. I'll be good when I get what I want to know. Okay. <laughs> well, we'll try to get you good, Alice. <laughs> I had both of the vaccination and both of the boosters. Uh-huh. So I thought a third one coming out, I thought to get a number three booster. When did you get the last booster? Um... I got the first one December the 3rd and the second one July the 3rd. Okay. So you probably got another couple of months before you would get the the uh, updated ones that are coming out. And, you know, there's a lot of questions. In fact, we were just talking in studio during the break um, about the new one is available, but, in you know, it technically it's available, but it's sort of hard to get right now if you call around to different pharmacies. So um, I would... I go to the health department. Yeah, so you can you can uh, touch base with the health department, and uh, it's about like three or four months after you've had the the last one. So if you had that in July, you said I believe that last booster, then it's probably going to be about October or November. Um, maybe November, December, somewhere. Right, right. But that should give you give it plenty of time to be available. Yeah, I wanted to make sure it's a number three booster so I can run on out there and get it when it's available. <laughs> there you go. So, Alice, let, let me ask you, Alice, did that make you happy? Oh, yeah, that made me happy, but let me see if nothing don't make me happy. What? If these vitamins, I take vitamin magnesium, uh-huh. 400 milligrams, and I take B12. 1,000 milligram and D3, 5,000 IU, whatever that is. And then I want to start taking vitamin C, 1,000. Is that too much? No, that's fine. The only one I can think of that you may have some problems is that magnesium. 
you, you don't want to take too much of the magnesium just because it'll upset your stomach. It'll make you have some diarrhea. Oh, I take all, all of them at once a day, so yeah. I take all of them at the same time in the morning. Time. Yeah, that should be fine. Those B vitamins, all of them, and then the C vitamins, you really, those just get sort of passed out of your system in your urine if you got too much. So those are fine. So the 1,000 and all of that is good. Yes, ma'am. Oh, thank you so much. I'm 74 and going to be 75 in a few months, and I'm trying to get as healthy as I can. All right. Well, I'm, I am proud of you for doing that, and, uh, hey, happy early ver- birthday to you. Thank you so much. Yes, ma'am. Thank you for calling. This is Southern Remedy. Dr. Jimmy with you this morning, trying to make people happy. Let's go to John. Good morning, John. Hello, Dr. Jimmy. I'm uh, calling from Vicksburg, and my question is this. I have been experiencing GERD for the past few years. I'm 74, but the only problem with my GERD is, I guess if it's a problem, I do not experience any heartburn at all, but the acidic level is unbearable. I burp and belch all day long, and now have ex- developed, I mean, just through my research on Dr. Google, is acidic labyrinthi- labyrinthitis. And I'm extremely dizzy with vertigo. And I'm curious, what would be your remedy for it? I've taken Pepsi, and I was reading about Pepsi, and I also take uh, cetirizine. And I guess those two are two drugs that will work together to, to as an antihistamine to help that. Do you have any solutions or suggestions as to what I can do, please, sir? Yeah. So, uh, you know, GERD is one of those things that uh, causes a lot of people some problems. And it can be a combination of sort of how our GI tracts put together. And it can also be other things, too, even infections in your stomach. So if it's not getting better with either, you know, changing the foods that you eat or changing the amount that you eat, sometimes if we eat too much at one sitting all that that has to that pressure has to go somewhere, and sometimes it can come back up through the esophagus, and you get that sort of acidic taste, and uh, it can either be in the back of your throat, as you mentioned. So we do treat it, you know, with medications to reduce the amount of acid in the stomach. So Pepsid's one of those things, like Prilosec, Omeprazole. Those are those are over the counter medications too that work a little bit differently, but pretty much to decrease the amount of acid. If you, if that's not working after about two weeks then you may need to see your physician about it because, again, there may be uh, an infection with something called H. pylori. It's a bacteria that likes to live in your stomach, and it can uh, can interfere with the lining of the stomach in a certain way that that acid can cause you more problems, even if you don't have classic symptoms of it. And uh, one step from there would actually be seeing a GI doctor, and sometimes they have to go down with a little lighted scope from above uh, down through your esophagus to make sure you don't have other things going on. Sometimes it can be problems with the esophagus and the way that it's working mechanically. Sometimes you could have a big hiatal hernia. So if it's not going away with the over-the-counter medications after two two uh, weeks, uh, two to three weeks or so, I would probably contact your, your doctor and say, hey, I'm having some bad problems here. They may want to treat you with some prescription medications to decrease that acid level a little bit further. Um, but after that, it's pretty much, you know, testing for that uh, infection and maybe even seeing a GI doctor. Uh, Dr. Jimmy, I have gone through all those steps. Oh, okay. I have gone, to, I have gone through the doctor uh, at GI, 
and uh, it's still persistent. I have had the upper GI, I've had the tests for SIBO, I've had all kind of tests. I've lost 45 pounds because I'm not able to Oh, goodness. Had, yeah. Did they put you on like a prescription? Because Pepsid's good, but it's not quite as strong as some other things like... Oh, yeah. Yeah. I've like, gone through all of the P-drugs, the Prilocin, uh-huh. the Protonics. I've gone through all of them. The Dexalin, the... I, I mean, I'm aware of all of them. Yep, I you named them all. Yeah. Yeah, I don't. You know, the only thing I can think of is you may want a second opinion from a GI doctor just to see if there's anything else they can give you because, particularly with weight loss, because there are some GI doctors that sort of specialize in that area, Um, and if they haven't looked for things like a hiatal hernia, they probably would have seen that and and noticed that. But that may be something else that they might consider. Okay, then, Doctor Jimmy. Thank you. Yes, sir. Good luck to you. This is Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. Dr. Jimmy with you this morning answering a lot of calls, a lot of good calls today about all kinds of different things. Hopefully we're giving uh, most everybody the uh, the information that they need. going to go to Roger, who's been patiently waiting from Florence. Good morning, Roger. Good morning. I've been diagnosed with a UTI by a nurse practitioner. Very kind and good, and I got a good side of something in the tail and also headed for today to get some uh, antibiotics uh, at the pharmacy. But I forgot to tell her that one of my symptoms developing over the last week or so, a little over a week, was not only the just frantic, instantaneous need to urinate, and I wouldn't make it to the toilet, uh, or if I was outside, I could prepare pretty well if it wasn't too public. But I mean instantaneous, uncontrollable, no way to control it. It just would begin urinating. At the same time, however, I I realized I was developing a bowel problem that uh, loose bowels, not not runny necessarily, not not liquid, but very loose, very very, uh, accompanied by, by liquid. And uh, and it also was instantaneous and unable to, to be controlled, and that would be uh, I wouldn't be able to make it to uh, a toilet, and so now I'm I'm getting better, feeling better. My fever was I had a lot of fever, don't have much fever right now, <clears throat> and so the antibiotic that I got shot with is working, and and I'm getting less burning on urination and all that, so. It's getting, I think, the antibiotic is working on the on the UTI, if that's what it is. But I forgot to tell her about this other symptom, and my question is, does that accompany a classic UTI? Yeah, that, that's a great description, Roger, of some of the associated symptoms of a UTI. So uh, UTI, for all those other people out there, means urinary tract infection. So that's anywhere in the urinary tract, so it can be from your bladder all the way up to your kidneys. And uh, because of an infection is irritable to the tissues that are, are affected by it, it can cause spasms. And that's probably what's causing the symptoms that you're having. So we call that urgency, where you have this intense urge to relieve your bladder, and sometimes you don't make it. Same kind of thing can be happening with your bowels just because those uh, that's a pretty close proximity to the infection where it's where it's happening. 
at most of the time that gets better just with treating the infection itself. There are some medications that can help with that, um, but it's been my experience if you start to treat with the antibiotics within about two to three days, four to five at the most, then you usually see that uh, urgency and that bladder spasm to decrease just because you're reducing the infection. But yes, it's a that can be a common symptom with a urinary tract infection. And usually you don't necessarily have to treat the spasm part of it because sometimes those drugs can have a lot of side effects. Just treating the infection itself will make that better. But if it's not, you do need to call your physician or nurse practitioner back and say, hey, I'm having these other symptoms. I thought they were related to the, to the, uh, to the UTI, but now I'm still having them. Okay, that's good. All right. I thank you for what you do. Oh, thank you, Roger. Yes, sir. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for calling. Have a good day. Let's go to Evelyn from Jackson. Good morning, Evelyn. Good morning. So um, all five of us in our family get vaccinated and boosted when we're able to. Um, We have three sons, and our middle son, he is, doubly vaccinated and boosted. He's 22. And every time he's been vaccinated against COVID, he has the strongest reaction of any of us. Most of us is the sore arm. Maybe we feel a little bad for an hour or two. No big deal. He feels like he gets, he feels as if he has the flu for about two, three days. Uh, But that doesn't keep him from getting uh, boosted because he knows getting COVID would be worse than that. Um, I understand that you can get the flu shot at the same time as a COVID vaccine or booster, but I'm thinking that for him, that's probably not a good idea. Yeah, I think I think that's fine, Evelyn. I, you know, it's there are certain individuals that just mount up. I mean, really. You know, we don't have as much evidence to to back this up, but basically that's an immune response that your body's saying, yes, I recognize that as, um, as, as uh, ex- you know, possible exposure to COVID, even though you can't get COVID from the vaccine, but that's what you're trying to train your immune system to do. And uh, uh, it sounds like his immune system is doing exactly what it needs to do in mounting up that response every time. And as far as, you know, giving both vaccines, both flu and COVID at the same time, you can do that. We, you know, went through that last season and um, with uh, at first they were like, no, you need to separate them apart. And that's mainly just a caution to make sure that we're not going to see anything with them together. They've tested that. uh, No, no problems taking them together. However, in your particular case with your son, I probably would. Uh, separate them out because if he was to have a reaction to a more severe reaction to the flu vaccine or the COVID uh, booster, you would want to know which is which, right? Uh, Mm -hmm. Because both of those things are probably going to be with us for a while as far as uh, opportunities to protect ourselves from both of those. And if he's already having and that's that's not an uncommon side effect, you know. Again, that's there's there's other ones that are the more severe ones, and certainly nothing that you described, I agree, is is something that uh, you need to you know avoid getting the the COVID back, the vaccine booster. But uh, just not knowing that, I probably would separate them at least a few days, if not more. Probably about a week or two would be the best uh, you know sort of time period, and that way you know you know what was attributable to which one. Well, and we also. 
advise him to look at his schedule so that he doesn't get his booster right before uh, a group of tests because he's in college, yeah. you know, a group of tests or right before finals or something like that. So when do when are we recommending to get uh, flu shots? September is good. September and October are good times. As soon as they're available, yeah. And the CDC usually posts that on their website. But I will tell you, we've already started to see flu in the community. Um, we already have been diagnosed some patients with flu. So as soon as it can become available in your area, I would go ahead and get it. Okay. Uh, I'm in the Jackson area, so uh, yep. do you know if it's available yet? I haven't. Or just check with my pharmacy. Yeah, I would check with the pharmacy. I haven't heard of any pharmacies that are that are that have it available yet, um, but I haven't checked in the past week or so. But we're getting to the point, usually right around September, um, you know, is, is about the time that they start to have that. So I would just give them a call, and a lot of them will put you on a list to, to call back just to say, hey, we've got it available now. Okay, and when we get the new boosters, do we need to ask for the new the the new variant of vaccine, or are we or are we almost assuredly getting the new one? I would because most pharmacies, well, I would say some pharmacies are going to have more of the old booster available, and uh, they may want to go ahead and give all of those before they give the new one. But I would just ask about that. I mean, they're going to. Whichever one you ask for is what they're going to be able to provide. Uh, but uh, if it's, you know, if they still have some of the the older booster available, they may give that if you don't specifically ask for it. Thank you for your good information. Appreciate it. Have a great day. Yes, ma'am. Thank you for calling. Let's go to Jerome. we got about a minute left, Jerome. Thank you for calling. Okay. Uh, it was a, earlier... Yeah, I was talking about the UTI. Mm-hmm. Okay, I've been to the emergency room twi- twice for my hiccups, and it caused, you know, I got the same symptoms he got, you know. Sometimes I can't make it to the bathroom. Sometimes I had to w- wash my car seat off and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Because I, can, I can't control my mind or get to the point I urinate, you know. And, um... Okay, um, went to the hospital and said, okay, what you do is uh, we're going to give you a Thorazine shot. Yeah, yeah, Jerome, I'm going to have to cut you off a little bit just because of time, but I, I would uh, I would follow up with those symptoms with either your primary doctor or a urologist if you haven't already because it could be a lot of different things. And I'm not sure Thorazine may have been the best thing for those symptoms. There may have been another another thing that they were thinking about treating. But there's a lot of things in how you evacuate your bowels and evacuate your bladder and the way that the body works that could have been the problem there. So I'm going to point you back towards your main doctor about that. Feel free to email us, though, if there's more to the story, and we'll, uh, we can comment on that. Thanks, everybody, for calling. I hope everybody has a great day. You can tune in next Wednesday at 11 for Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.